the weepies there, all this beauty. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, this week, the Queer Displacements Conference happened in Sydney. On the line, we have Renee Dixon from the Forcibly Displaced People Network. They organised the conference. Renee, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's always great to chat with you, Renee. It's great to have you on board. Uh, The conference was a huge success. What were the main issues that arose? Look, I should say that um, Queer Displacement Conference is very unique because we are the only conference that talked comprehensively about LGBTQ for displacement in Asia-Pacific region. And the Queer Displacement Conference this time brought together 200 people from 13 countries. We had 53 LGBTQ displaced people present in the room where 33 from them received the full scholarship from us to being able to participate. And the Queer Displacement is a space um, that is centered lived experience in a meaningful way to discuss the issues that prevent LGBTQ migrants, refugees and asylum seekers from being settled in Australia and from feeling um, being belong. Um, so um, we wanted to bring into the room different policy um, makers, governments and services system um, and ask them to commit to do better for our community. And across of these three days and presentations, we um, he- hear the main takeaways that LGBTQ refugee work is irreplaceable. And there's a need to the greater support for funding of LGBTQ refugee work and that we still need to continue to building the capacity of services and, and government providers to provide more inclusive care and support for LGBTQ forcibly displaced people. Absolutely. Such an important array of topics uh, and a very inclusive array. What were the key recommendations that came out of queer displacements? Um, it's very good question. So the key recommendations is definitely that um, we need a greater diversity. There is no a single story that exists among LGBTQ displaced people. Uh, we brought um, people and stakeholders from um, Ukraine, Afghanistan, Latina trans and refugees, uh, Latina trans refugees that work in USA, and LGBTQ displaced people in Asia. And for example, um, Alena Shevchenko reflected on how large international organizations are not providing the need that is, is, is needed in response in the crisis, and it takes months to support, uh, to support that needs to come. And LGBTQ displaced people are literally left without any support. For example, Artemis Bakari, uh, who works with LGBTQ Iranians and Afghanis, reflected on um, terrible conditions for LGBTQ refugees in Turkey that's leaving them absolutely homeless and very vulnerable and subject to to violence uh, in Turkey. And um, there is some speakers reflected in um, situation in Asia. There are many countries that are not signatory to refugee convention that are leaving people with limited option to seek safety. And our main approach to the conference was also to center the voices of LGBTQ displaced people um, so they are had an opportunity to speak as a plenary and they had so much work that needs to be done in Australia and to ensure that inclusive service provision um, 
is existing in Australia and increase the visibility of the issues of LGBTQ displaced people. It's so great you were able to provide vital platforms for people locally and from all around the world. Tell us about some of the standout speakers at Queer Displacements and also what they said. Um, as I mentioned previously, you, you can't just single out the one story. The, uh, it, it's, it's very important um, that a lot of people um, have, there's no single story. It's very difficult. So that's the reason why we brought all of these wonderful speakers from around the world and um, to, to talk at the conference. Yeah, absolutely. It must be so hard to kind of, you know, pinpoint anybody when there was such a chorus of really, really vital and uh, important issues being being covered. Take that point. Absolutely. Now, this year's um, theme for queer displacements was leadership, partnership and belonging. Tell us why you selected those key issues. Um, you know, um. We selected these key issues because, like, first Queer Displacement Conference took the place in 2019, and we had broad range of issues presented there. Um, and um, at the Queer Displacement Conference this year, it, we saw that a lot of progress has been done since then, and um, we want to have to see how the growing change uh, in the refugee work, uh, refugee-led work happen, as well as better responses to some services. So we wanted to focus on this and to share the lessons that we've learned and celebrate success. Renee, to what extent are we seeing improvement regarding how organisations and policymakers in the refugee and asylum seeker spaces actually respond to queer people who have been displaced? I know in the past when we've spoken, there's been a lot of improvement needed. Yes, absolutely. And this year we have launched the report, Inhabiting Towards at Once. Um, and this report shows first ever comprehensive survey uh, on the experiences of LGBTQ settlement in Australia. And we have found that participants reported very high levels of discrimination in all aspects of their life, including service, education, employment, housing, healthcare. And over 50% of these participants reported that ongoing issues of discrimination affected their physical and mental health. We have also found, found that many people struggle to find the inclusive services that are able to both being LGBTQ inclusive, racially and culturally safe, and responsive to their migration needs. And during pandemic, we found out that 10% of people skip meals and many uh, being turned away for not, be, for not meeting um, visa eligibility. And the experiences of racism and homophobia were overwhelmingly high. And we need to have a responsive and inclusive service system. And this is why we organize, uh, this organization exists, to build the capacity of the services and um, to deliver equitable settlement outcomes for LGBTQ refugees and migrants. Renee, that's absolutely shocking that people are experiencing that level of discrimination and, and, and disadvantage. I was going to ask you what needs to improve, but clearly discriminatory attitudes within the sector and also the alleviation of disadvantage. It sounds like they're the two key improvements needed. A lot of work needs to be done on this, yes.
So all of that considered, what's your key message for Immigration Minister Andrew Giles and the Albanese government? Look, we're really calling Albanese government to introduce quota for LGBTQ people in addition to Australia's existing annual commitment to resettlement. The Australian government can pilot a refugee subcategory within the refugee resettlement quota to provide durable solution uh, to high-risk groups. We have 86 million displaced people in the world and only 1% will be ever resettled in the safe countries and we need to provide safe pathways for LGBTQ community. Renee, tell us the backstory to how you became an activist and advocate in this policy space. Look, I came as a refugee back in 2012 uh, with my partner. And when I started going through these services myself, um, I... I realised how much silence around LGBTQ issues in the refugee sector and how much disengagement on refugees' experiences in the LGBTQ sector. And this erasure, like, really moved me to do better for my community who come after me. And for listeners who are listening to me, um, I changed my name for safety reasons. Um, and surprisingly, because Australia is a little bit racist and we need still to do a lot of work, um, it was very easy to find a job with an Anglo-sound name. Yeah, you've really highlighted the discrimination and the marginalisation that people experience. It's clearly based on your own lived experience, and that's obviously what drives your passion and commitment, which is much needed in this space. You know, I, I don't really like the word passion because passion is impulse. Today you have it, tomorrow you don't. <laughs> yeah. We need we need commitment and professionalism and resources that we can bring sustainable change for our communities that are still here, they're kind of safe, but still facing a lot of troubles to get uh, equal settlement outcomes for our community. Absolutely. That structural change needs to happen to put those pillars in place to achieve the appropriate outcomes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Renee Dixon from the Forcibly Displaced People Network. Congratulations on another successful queer displacements conference. And thank you so much for chatting with us on 3CR. We really appreciate your work and, and, and commitment in this space. Thank you. Have a good night. Cheers. Bye. Renee Dixon there. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. And here's Kat Power covering Iggy Pop.
Wildlife Victoria is a non-profit emergency response service committed to assisting wildlife in need across Victoria. Our trained and dedicated volunteers rescue and rehabilitate sick, injured and orphaned animals so they can be released back to their native habitat. If you see wildlife that may need our help, please contact us on 8400 7300. To donate or register to become a volunteer, hop onto our website at wildlifevictoria.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
time that was Arcade Fire with Sprawl 2 and you're listening to 3CR. needs members to survive. By becoming a subscriber, you're helping us to remain fiercely independent and free of commercials and corporate influence. Are you a paid-up subscriber? It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation, and $300 solidarity. Great value for 24-7 community-owned and community-controlled media. Please become a subscriber member today. Call the station on 03-9419-8377 or sign up online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.
David Bowie there, Beauty and the Beast. You are on In Your Face on 3CR with James. Well, last week, the Better Together conference happened in Adelaide. On the line, we have the organiser, Jason Tuazon McSheen from the Equality Project. Jason, welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you. Jason, a hugely successful conference. Everyone's raving about it. Tell us about the issues it covered. Well, we had uh, 93 sessions over the two and a half days. Um, and over 912 people registered for the event, which made it huge and diverse. But we, there was everything from asexuality to sex work, from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander yarnings to um, conversations about transgender and gender-diverse youth to um, stuff to deal with seniors. We even had a pre-day with 50 um, curated leaders from around the country using human-centered design, doing a day-long workshop around what sort of world are we trying to create. So it was a really uh, diverse, uh, intense, wonderful, self-directed by each of the um, people and orgs who submitted program. Um, Our biggest and and best program and event we've had. And what a coup for you organising all that and putting it together. How exhilarating, but how exhausting. Oh, I'm still recovering. I haven't talked to very many people this week. (laughs) It's exhilarating because you do the work. And, you know, we, we provided, um, I think it's 40-something percent now, 42 percent common scholarships or, or fully covered. We had 100 seniors that we um, were funded through Seniors Card and we had another 100 South Australian community members um, who were funded through um, uh, DHS there. And we're just really proud of, of the accessibility that we have. I think we had 38 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander attendees, we have full Auslan interpretation available, and then everything from a quiet room and um, disability access was really important. We've got the balance right, um, but you know, it's intense and full on, and I'm just um, I'm glad to be resting this week, but we loved it. And it's great you've got that accessibility and that inclusion and affordability happening because one of the criticisms of this Pride season, especially with World Pride that's now, you know, upon us, is that some people have been priced out. So it's great that you were able to navigate that and make sure that didn't happen. Well, every single person who wants to come to an Equality Project um, event or training gets to go. Fantastic. Now tell us about the Equality Project because it's a pretty dynamic organisation that you spearhead. Um, so we're six years old. We're a national health promotion charity that serves um, LGBTIQA plus people plus their allies. We create space that um, we have a theory of change that um, around our conferences and our trainings and other things we do that people might actually spend some time with each other, look each other in the eye, they might like each other, and then they might collaborate together. That's a better use of our resources, our energy, and our time, really, and it works. It's slow. It takes time. Um, but it really works, and particularly sort of post-COVID period, we found that people are really hungry to you know, be in the same room as each other and have those conversations and understand that my experience or your experience or someone else's experience is actually that. It's a different experience to each other, and there's a richness in that, and we all need to... Um, I know when I spoke at the opening, I was talking about, if a, for just a small time, take yourself out of the centre and let someone else sit there for a second. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had so many activists from around the country and internationally. You had very experienced people. You had a lot of strong personalities. Um, But, you know, together they are better, you know, hence the name, Better Together. Jason, was there a theme that kept popping up that surprised you where you you went, gee, gee, I'm surprised they're they're talking about that. I didn't see that coming. No, because we, you know, we, 
do the work. We kind of there's the topics that are emerging that are there. Are, nothing surprised me to be honest. But what what did surprise us was we we had the um, official uh, Abbott and Museum Choir come from Sweden, and they were a sensational source of nourishment and comfort um, in the program. With the closing plenary being, you know, or ended up being a massive dance time for everybody, just to be happy and and celebrate and. And what surprised me is that um, a broad cross-section of people were dancing and just enjoying the, the closure of the conference together. That was a surprise. You never know. Um, and what surprises me, too, is that we actually go along with each other pretty well. And um, you just pay attention to social media or to uh, uh, avenues like that. You can maybe think we're fighting amongst each other a lot. And actually, when you see each other in, in the same space um, and you understand that each other are humans, we had, uh, that I know, that I'm aware of, very few issues with um, interactions between people. And I'm really, I'm pleasantly surprised by that. Wow, you know, and especially when you've got so many diverse views and so many strong personalities, that is that is great that there was that, that harmony and that kind of, you know, commitment to working together because we are better together. I really believe that. I mean, we on our own, we're okay and maybe even great. But together we are um, far superior. And that's because, you know, my strengths, your strengths, another person's strengths, weaknesses are all different. We've got our journey, our expertise, um, and that combination, if we can actually collaborate, it's not easy. It's not all kumbaya. Um, but it's actually really important because at the end of the day, pretty much everybody, I hope, in this space uh, um, are in it, uh, doing the work because they believe in it and they want to see change happen. And one of the, like, the other interesting thing that we did was we opened the conference with the Long Walk, which is a um, Aboriginal culture and Islander organisation founded by Michael Long many years ago. And we met on the riverbank across the road from the across the river from the conference. I think uh, a third to a half of the conference met. And we had a smoking ceremony and a welcome to country by Uncle Mickey, a local Ghana um, senior elder. And it was just the most, most beautiful thing. And then we walked together in harmony along the riverbank across the bridge back along the riverbank and into the plenary where we sat down together. So instead of just sitting there listening passively to a welcome or acknowledgement, um, people symbolically work, walked alongside each other. And I think that's, you know, one of the things we need to do as queer people is is um, this year in particular with the Voice campaign and referendum happening, we've got to do our bit and do some work for them for change. It is, you know, beautiful symbolism that the conference happened in Adelaide and you did have that walk because, of course, we've just seen the, the South Australian Upper House pass that voice legislation, which is the first time a, a state parliament in Australia has done that. So it sounds like you're in the right place. Yeah, and no, I didn't know. I thought you were sharing that Adelaide was uh, in that area. Adelaide is where Aboriginal people from all over the place came and met, basically had conferences and gatherings together. And, you know, he talked about um, how the platforms is this uniquely different combination of all sorts of animals in the one animal. And it just kind of symbolised what the whole point of Better Together is and what we were doing, and it felt very much at home. And that's the second conference that's been in Adelaide now, and um, that was our biggest uh, both program and attendees, yet even um, outstripping Melbourne in 2020. Key recommendations. Were there any really poignant ones that came up? I mean, there must have been so many, but what springs to mind, Jason? One of the ones that was a Jack Tomlin's um, speech talked about how we don't treat our allies well and we actually need to get better at it. In fact, we treat our allies pretty badly and we expect a lot of them and don't give them the chance to um, 
do the work that they, they really wanted to do for us. And I thought that was really powerful. Um, Rob Allen, you can look online and see, he gave uh, 10 tips for leadership that were really, really powerful. Um, and, you know, I, being an organiser myself, I didn't get to sit in most of the 1930 sessions. Um, but there was everything from, you know, recovering from domestic violence to um, some really beautiful therapeutics work that was done um, through someone like Linda Bannerman. So it's really, you know, it's, you have to sort of, being present and being there is the key to bed together. It's not an online conference. It's, um, it's truly the community conference, and I'm really proud of it. Well, so you should be. And I mean, the Abart, the Abart concert was just, you know, truly divine. I saw that video on social media. Everybody loved it. Jason, the next one's here in Victoria, in Geelong, I understand, in 2024, in June. Uh, so local people can, can head along to that. Um, gives you a bit of time to organise the next one. Yeah, we needed a bit more than a year, but we're super excited to, once again, be in a regional non-Melbourne, non-Sydney space, um, the whole Geelong region is behind this and excited about it and we um, will launch it later this year once the football schedule is announced because that's at GMHBA Stadium. So it's going to be the first three weeks of June, um, probably the first week of June depending on when Geelong play a home game. But we've got capacity there for 1,500 to 2,000 people and we think it's going to be the biggest and broadest program we've done. And once again, there'll be equitable access for anyone who wants to go um, really, you know, we'll keep building on what we're doing. Um, and I'm really excited about that because it's super important and it's creating a national cohort of people who have a mechanism to come together every year, year and a half and um, connect and then maybe collaborate together and it's super exciting. Jason Tuazon McShane, congratulations on Better Together and thank you so much for joining us today on 3CR. Always a pleasure. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. And yep, a wonderful conference, Bear Together, held last week in Adelaide. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. Start spreading the news You're leaving today Tell him, Frank I want to be a part of it New York, New York Your vagabond shoes They are longing to stray And step around the heart of it New York, New York I want to wake up in that city that doesn't sleep And find your king of the hill, top of the heap Your small town blues, they're melting away Gonna make a brand new start of it In old New York You always make it there You make it anywhere It's up to you, New York, New York 
in that city that doesn't sleep. And fine, I'm king of the hill, top of the list, you bet. Sinatra and Tony Bennett there with their classic. You are in your face with 3CR with James. Well, this week, sex work law reform Victoria released emails from Victorian Liberal MLC more redeeming. They express negative views about sex work law reform and some trans reforms from when she was a Melton councillor. Now, the emails were obtained under Freedom of Information and published on Sex Work Law Reform Victoria's website. And I'm joined by Matthew Roberts from Sex Work Law Reform Victoria to discuss their actions from public policy and freedom of information perspectives. Uh, Matthew, it's a strong example of public interest activism. It certainly is, James. And um, this is an example of freedom of information in action. So tell us about the process that Sex Work Law Reform Victoria enacted to obtain the emails. Yes, so we relied on Victorian FOI legislation. We applied to the council for um, certain documents relating to the trans and sex work issues. And the council has 30 days to process that. And there's a process, a legal process, by which... um, the council has to provide those documents. And um, with some redactions, we were eventually provided with the documents um, that we had requested. So what drove your interest in obtaining these emails? When it comes to sex workers' rights issues, James, the question of government responsibility and government behaviour is critical. Because in this country, historically, governments haven't always treated sex workers well. And so we're very interested in what our elected leaders are doing and saying about sex work. And we, had, we were aware that there was just discussion in that particular council about sex worker rights. And so we thought we would dig a bit deeper and look at what was happening behind the scenes to better understand what the rhetoric was and um, what the concerns were in that council in relation to sex workers' rights. So it's really about accountability of our publicly elected officials, especially when they take on a role of, um, of, of statewide significance uh, and, and when you're you know, uh, an MP, uh, an MLC, from the official opposition in the state. Of course. And one, one of the, you know, the rules of being, um, doing advocacy is 
the more power that someone gets and the larger their voice is amplified, any politician, then the more that we should scrutinise and challenge their claims. And so anyone who's in state parliament who has the power to make legislation affecting sex workers, we think they need to be scrutinised and um, closely watched. And, I mean, you know, you're not partisan. There's, you know, uh, I imagine other politicians that you have in your sights. Is this the beginning of this kind of freedom of information activism from sex work law reform Victoria in the public realm? Um, Yes and no. We've actually been submitting FOI requests for many, many years. And I personally have been an FOI activist for well over 10 years now. So this is not new. Um, It is new that the media took a a significant interest in this particular set of documents um, there. So we will continue to submit FOI requests that relate to sex workers' rights, James. But I want to be really clear about the question of impartiality. We are an independent, not-for-profit organisation. We're not aligned with um, any political party. And I can assure you all political parties have received criticism from us over the years. I guess it was a window of opportunity issue as well, wasn't it? And uh, it was part of the news cycle that, that made the media so interested because the, uh, the politician in question had given a controversial maiden speech this week as well. Yes. So um, it was something that was already in the media and it was um, in the political realm. And so it was uh, a good time to add these documents to the discussion because it was relevant and because, well, we're always wanting to, to get everyone to talk about sex workers' rights. That's one of our challenges, James, is to figure out ways to get the media and the parliament to put and keep sex worker rights on the agenda. Because, I mean, law reform's not like a magic kind of potion, is it? I mean, those, those, those issues for sex workers aren't all solved just through decriminalisation, especially when you've got another tract of decriminalisation to come, to be enacted later this year. But there's so many issues that need to be considered when it comes to sex workers, and politicians still need to act. They still need to provide funding, and they still need to provide their, I suppose, imprimatur and support so that sex workers aren't demonised. And that's the key word, is the word demonising sex workers. Yes, we have a commitment that these law reform changes will come through at the end of this year. The second part of the decriminalisation bill will be enacted in December. But if we look at the law reform issue aside, it's about demonisation, James. It's about looking at what's the rhetoric, what's the language that our elected leaders are using. That also counts. And as a sex worker myself, it's really hurtful and sad to hear language that is so stigmatising and insulting at, at times towards sex workers. And that's across the board from a diversity of politicians, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not talking about any one person here. Uh, it's not, there's certainly not one person who is um, responsible for that language. Sadly, in our society, there are a number of people across the board who don't really necessarily understand the sex worker issue. And so we want to uh, help people to better understand what sex workers are feeling, what we really want, and the kind of language uh, that is more constructive. This issue, though, has kind of put Liberal leader John Pesuto under the spotlight. Uh, Says he's a progressive. Um, Do you know what his position is on sex work? I I don't know. Um, I'm not even I'm not even aware that the Victorian Liberal Party has a, 
a, a position on sex work itself. Uh, we do know that last year when the sex work decriminalisation bill was put to the parliament, the Liberal Party voted against it. Uh, but we don't know what their official position is. I would like, uh, ideally, all leaders and all um, members of parliament to take a really clear position and not tolerate stigmatising language from any MP. And I would um, call on all leaders and all MPs to really take this issue seriously and recognise that that rhetoric and that um, language affects sex workers on the ground every day. But John Pesuto is the alternative Premier, the Premier-in-waiting, so to speak. Uh, and sex work is clearly a controversial issue within his party. He touts himself as a moderate. He says he loves everyone. That's certainly <laughs> what he said in response to the controversy over this particular politician. Um, does Sex Work Law Reform Victoria send an invitation to him to meet to kind of, you know, get on a similar page and to and to enable him to perhaps have a better understanding of of your issues uh, to work constructively with sex workers. Well, we would love to meet with John Pesuto. Uh, we're happy to meet with any member of parliament, any of the Liberal MPs. We've met with them in the past. I would um, put out that invitation right here on your show uh, to meet with him so that he, him and his party can hear from sex workers directly and better understand our concerns and uh, what we're hoping for moving forward. So you're saying that no Liberal MPs have reached out to Sex Work Law Reform Victoria to have a, a discussion, um, or perhaps they have? Well, we we have um, MPs, including Liberal MPs, in, in dialogue with us all the time, you know, over a long period of time. In the last, you know, few days... James, I haven't even had a chance to check my emails, to be honest with you. I've been so busy. Um, so I'm not aware of anything in the last couple of days. But our door is always open. We're, we're not here to create fights with anyone. We're here to explain what sex workers want and what can be done to improve the position of all sex workers. So you've spoken to Liberal MPs. Have any of them made positive comments to you about sex work, but obviously they kind of feel a bit constrained by their party's lack of support for decriminalisation, but privately a Liberal MP saying constructive things about sex work to Sex Work Law Reform Victoria? Um, the answer is yes. We've met with many Liberal MPs over the years, uh, over the last four years, had great conversations um, with all the Liberal MP MPs that we've met, they've had a lot of good things to say and, and been very constructive and positive. So I think there's a lot of hope there. There's a lot of good people out there. And um, I would like to see the, the Victorian Liberal Party moving in a more positive direction and really dealing with um, its rhetoric on, on this issue and um, improving the way that it handles some of these controversial issues. I mean, that must be you know, reassuring for John Pesudo, I guess, to hear that, that some of these, you know, MPs are supportive of, of sex work law reform and sex worker rights, especially if he's perhaps worried about a backlash against his leadership if he pulls some of those more conservative uh, politicians publicly into line. That's kind of, I guess, reassuring for him to know that there is support amongst his caucus for sex worker rights and law reform. Well, I, I obviously can't speak for his caucus or, or his supporters, but what I will say, James, is that the fascinating thing about sex worker rights is that this is not a party issue. This isn't even a progressive or a left issue. In actual fact, sex workers' rights is a small business issue, and that's a core Liberal Party 
issue. So my message to John Pesuto is recognise that sex workers' rights is actually should be a core Liberal Party issue of supporting individual rights and small business rights. You must have been pleased this week with the Premier's um, you know, constructive comments towards sex workers because I know you've had a bit of fear that you know maybe there'll be a backlash within the Labor Party and these reforms will be wound back. You've been a bit worried about that. Well, we were more worried before the election, before we knew what the result of the election would, would be. This year, with Labor securing a significant win at the election, we're less worried. But with sex workers... You're always worried that whether people are going to stay on your side when times get tough and when there's pressure out there. So I remain confident and pleased to hear the Premier coming out supporting the trans community and sex workers. And I'm you know, confident that Labor will continue with its commitment and with delivering the bill and that we'll just have a chance to wind out these reforms and give them a chance to, um, to succeed. You said you were exhausted. Have you been swamped by media this week? Uh, yes, we've been swamped by everything. Um, I could do with a bit more sleep, uh, to be honest with you, but it's been a really exhilarating sort of roller coaster ride. There's been a lot of engagement on Twitter. I might point out you can see us on Twitter at, at SWLRV. There's a lot of activity there. Uh, people can read the documents and the emails for themselves. Uh, go to the Twitter page there. Our website is sexworklawreformvictoria.org.au. Again, people can see for themselves all of the um, documents released by FOI there. And um, it's just been a crazy sort of week. Matthew Roberts, always great to see you in the studio at 3CR. Thanks for coming in on this very hot day. Thank you for having me again, James.
Bonnie M there. Painter Man taking us out is Janice Joplin. Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. <laughs>